Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Creeps, have you ever heard the name Nevaeh Buchanan? Well, if you haven't, you're about to. Daughter to 24-year-old Jennifer Buchanan and 22-year-old Shane Hinojosa. Five-year-old Nevaeh Buchanan was a tomboy. She was bright and cheerful and particularly keen on motorcycles. Nevaeh lived with her grandmother Sherry, who was her legal guardian, as well as Jennifer Buchanan, her mother, who had spent several months in jail after home invasion conviction. Nevaeh's father, Shane lived in Toledo, Ohio, and the two hadn't spoken in nearly three years. Three years that Shane would later come to regret. On May 24, 2009, at roughly 6.30pm, Nevea walked up to her mother, and peering up told her that she was going to play with her friends upstairs in the Charlotte Arms apartment complex where she lived in Monroe, Michigan. That same evening, Jennifer Buchanan, Nevaeh's mother, had invited her best friend over, as well as her best friend's daughter, for a sleepover. But when they arrived at approximately 7pm, Jennifer's best friend's daughter informed her that Nevaeh was not at her friend's apartment, but was actually outside riding her scooter along the road. Slightly confused and preparing to chide her daughter for being outside unsupervised and alone, Jennifer walked out of her apartment and into the parking lot to check on Nevaeh. What she found instead was her scooter, left on its side at the edge of the apartment complex property, with no Nevaeh in sight. Jennifer spent a frantic hour looking around for Nevaeh before calling the police at roughly 8pm. When authorities arrived, they too immediately joined in the search, combing the surrounding area and knocking on doors. As you all know, creeps, the first few hours in a potential abduction are the most crucial in finding the individual who is missing, and that was only more so punctuated for police because they were searching for Nevaeh. She was only five years old. Both authorities, as well as the community, wasted no time in their effort to locate the five-year-old girl. Within hours, an Amber Alert had been sent far and wide, while hundreds of volunteers showed up to help in the search throughout Monroe. To help, investigators also brought in cadaver dogs, while a nearby quarry was searched with the help of both divers and sonar. Everyone was determined to do all they could to bring Nevaeh home. And part of that effort was the questioning of everyone who might possibly have seen where and when Nevaeh disappeared. While police were questioning all the residents of the Charlotte Arms apartment, and searching as many of the 180 apartments as possible, a man named Tim Finley, who had been visiting his sister in the apartment complex that evening, told police that when he had left the parking lot at roughly 7 p.m. that evening, he had not seen a single child. But he did notice 
a little red car, speeding out of the parking lot. Nevea's grandmother told Seven Action News that Nevea had to know this person for her to go with that person. Everybody around that apartment said they heard no screaming or nothing. These cases bother me the most, creeps. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? This podcast, in fact, started on a similar case, the disappearance of Heather Thomas. And just like with Heather Thomas, five-year-old Nevea also had a complicated family situation. Shane Hinojosa, Nevea's father, hadn't spoken to his daughter in nearly three years. But despite that, when he heard that Nevea was missing, the 22-year-old father traveled from Toledo, Ohio to assist in the search as well. Just by being there, he could have been arrested. Ironically, Shane had a warrant out for his arrest. He hadn't paid any child support since losing his job a while before Nevea's disappearance. But he was there to search and support Nevea and her mother. The search continued, but Nevea wasn't found that first night, nor the second night. A couple weeks passed, and Nevea was still missing. On June 4th at roughly 9.30 a.m., a man named Guy Bickley arrived at River Raisin with both his son and stepfather. The morning was spent with a fishing pole in hand as the three individuals stood on a riverbank near Dixon Road enjoying the day, roughly 10 miles from Charlotte Arms apartment complex, where Nevea had disappeared. As the morning progressed, the three men sat on the rocks in between the moments of reeling in their line or casting it back out. And as they moved about the riverbank, they walked over a large piece of concrete, which Guy Bickley idle-mindedly kicked with the toe of his shoe. As he kicked that piece of concrete, a foul odor plumed into the air. But they all thought it was simply a rotten fish. After one of Guy Bickley's idle-minded kicks, a piece of the concrete fell off revealing beneath it what appeared to be human skin. The scent soon overwhelmed them. Guy Bickley, startled and disturbed, called police. He had just found a dead body. Investigators and forensics arrived at the scene, and after a short while, it was, in fact, confirmed to be five-year-old Nevea. The child had been buried in a shallow grave, and was covered and encased in what appeared to be ready-mixed concrete. At first, it was assumed to have been the method of disposal, but after an autopsy, it was revealed that it had actually been the method of killing. Nevea, five years old, tomboy, who loved motorcycles, had been buried alive and had passed away from asphyxiation after inhaling dirt and concrete. There were no signs of abuse on the body once the concrete had been removed. Authorities confirmed that she had been buried for quite some time by that point, and reports never confirmed if she had been sexually abused. At the scene, no evidence was recovered, aside from an empty 90-pound bag of concrete, which had been stolen. Before the discovery of her body, however, two persons of interest had already been arrested by police. The first was George Kennedy, a 39-year-old man who was rumored to be Jennifer Buchanan, Nevaeh's mother's boyfriend. 
She has, however, always denied that they were anything other than simply friends. Despite that, Nevaeh referred to him as Daddy George. Jennifer had met George while reporting to her probation officer, and George himself was a registered sex offender. In 2007, he had been released from prison for raping a 15-year-old girl and molesting a 13-year-old girl after breaking into her home. Of note is the fact that George had been fishing with his known girlfriend at the time of Nevaeh's disappearance. But when Jennifer, in a frenzy and panicking, had called him once Nevaeh went missing, he and his girlfriend both promptly showed up to assist in the search. George was in custody, though not because they had enough to arrest and hold him for the disappearance of Nevaeh, but because he had associated himself with someone who had a child, and being a registered sex offender, that's not allowed. While in custody, both his motel room as well as his van were searched. Disturbingly, both a bloody towel as well as a bloody sharp instrument were found, as well as photos of young girls. The blood found both on the towel and the sharp-edged instrument was not Nevaeh's. Now, creeps. Do you remember that empty 90-pound bag of cement that had been found at the scene where Nevaeh was found? That bag had been stolen from Coleman Cement Company after someone had snipped the chain-link fence and snuck in. Behind George's motel was where the Coleman Cement Company was located. But creeps, police had two persons of interest. As suspicious as George sounds, there was also a 48-year-old man named Roy Lee Smith, who was also a registered sex offender and friend of Jennifer Buchanan, Nevaeh's mother as well. Jennifer and Roy Smith had been introduced to one another by their mutual friend George after he'd been released from prison a year before after doing a 15-year stint for sexual assault. Sadly, though, there was no concrete ties between Nevaeh and the two pedophiles, despite how easily that could have been the case. Creeps, would you let your daughter or son around a registered sex offender? Would you even be friends with one in the first place? Jennifer Buchanan is also a victim, but it's moments like these when researching cases that pull at those heartstrings that can only be pulled when a child is harmed that I find myself struggling not to point fingers. When asked by Nancy Grace on CNN if she knew George was a sex offender, and if so, why she'd let him around her daughter at all, she said, I just believe that everyone deserves a second chance. When explaining to the Detroit Free Press, Jennifer elaborated by saying, I didn't think it was a crime to have my child around someone. If George wanted to do that, he would have done it a little sooner. That's the way I feel, but I could be wrong. However, despite her words of trust and altruism, Jennifer never let George and Nevaeh be alone together, according to Jennifer herself. Michael Buchanan, Jennifer's brother, stated that he had brought the issue up with his sister, but that it ended in heated arguments more than once. Nevaeh's father also strongly disapproved of her actions and decisions. Five years after Nevaeh's disappearance in 2014, authorities confirmed with the media that they had a new suspect, one who was not part of the initial round of suspicions, and one who was also born and raised in Monroe. Sadly and ultimately, that led nowhere. It's now been 12 years and police have reportedly received nearly 1,500 tips and leads. But unfortunately, not a single one of them has led to any new information or credible leads. 
Nevaeh's murder has never been solved, and her killer is, as far as anyone can tell, still free to this day. If you or someone you know has any information about what happened to Nevaeh Buchanan, please contact the task force at 734-457-6713. So creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly, every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps. Take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors.